Hello, welcome to 365 Dates of Travel with Fran. I'm Fran. Welcome to my podcast. The main aim for this podcast is to make you smile from something I say and or laugh at something I did. So feel free to laugh away at me and at my expense. That's what I'm here for. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. So we have come to the end of the book. And that's the second book. We have come to the end of all of the 365 dates of travel. So the November chapter in the second book is only a very small chapter. There's only six dates because the first book, the first six months, started on the 7th of November. So the majority of November is in the first book, which we've already talked about. So now with just six little dates, it's going to be a single week podcast. So today I will read one of the dates from the book and I'll talk about a little bit about the stories in the book or this chapter. But there won't be a second podcast next week because it's only six dates and there's not a lot to talk about. (laughs) The chapter starts with a cheeky Halloween story, as in I've combined the 31st of October and the 1st of November into one date. But the adventure of the date happened in the early hours of the 1st of November. And you need the lead up to it, which happened on Halloween. And I'm going to jump in and do the reading straight away. So, the 1st of November, 1998, New York, New York, and Princeton, New Jersey, USA. I celebrated my first Halloween in America, starting with trick-or-treating with the family I worked for in the early evening. It wasn't as exciting as television shows made it look. Afterwards, I headed into Manhattan from Princeton Junction train station to meet friends. We tried to watch the Greenwich Village Halloween parade, but I proved too short. One friend, Martin, put me on his shoulders for 10 minutes. I took photos, but none of them came out being nighttime. We had plans to meet others at a bar nearby, which I loved. I sat at the bar enjoying a hot apple cider. Live jazz music played and candles lit the room. Our friends didn't arrive, so we left for Times Square. Martin took us to an Irish pub, but unimpressive after the previous place. Being after 10.30pm without eating dinner, I was starving. I needed somewhere to sit and eat, neither of which were options at the pub. My diary says, We got two beers into Caroline and then found a restaurant where I had some fries and a piece of cake. I'm not sure what the reason was behind getting two beers into Caroline, but we did it anyway. (laughs) We called the night a bust after this and headed to Penn Station to catch our various trains home. We shared our subway carriage with a sleeping devil. An older lady wore devil horns on her head as she slept away. I caught the last departure to Princeton at 1.40am, arriving at 2.50am. Others alighted in need of a ride home. We'd assumed we'd get taxis, but they'd finished for the night. According to my diary, in the end, the police felt sorry for us and drove us home. I was with eight Princeton Uni students, 
so at least I wasn't there all by myself. So I rode home in the back of a police car. That was cool. It's very small, no legroom, and of course you can't open the doors or windows. So anyway, I got home at 4am. So the highlight of my night was a ride in an American police car. An unexpected end to the night. I'd always wondered why they help arrested people into the car. Now I can tell you, there is no legroom. Your feet are under the front seat. You need to move your body in specific ways to get your feet in and under. It would be difficult with your hands in handcuffs. The easiest way is to sit sideways, watching your head as the officers say. You'd balance yourself if you had free hands and place one leg in at a time. It makes sense once you do it. At least I didn't do it in handcuffs. I'm not sure what would have happened without the police. A long, cold walk. A local Princeton friend woke me with a phone call at 9.45am and picked me up soon after to attend church. She went every week and I'd asked to join her on this date as hoped for familiar readings. It was seven years since my year 12 final school mass. I did a reading so had an affinity with this particular mass, even though it had been years since I'd attended mass regularly. I wanted a trip down memory lane, but wished I'd had more sleep. We arrived late, missing my 1991 reading, but it was the correct mass and memories flooded back. So, that was my mini Halloween and 1st of November adventure in New York and New Jersey on the seven-year anniversary of finishing high school. I have to tell you, it was really hard to get into that police car. So I understand that it's to, you know, keep so-called criminals out of trouble in the back seat. But yeah, it was a really interesting situation. And now every time I watch it on TV and see them trying to push someone's, you know, they, they always sort of push them by the head, like watch your head and hop in and just have a look at how they get in. I'm not sure if it's exactly true on TV, but it definitely is not just as simple as hopping in a car like it normally was. Obviously, I didn't have my hands in handcuffs, so I had my hands to help me. And there were, I think, three or four of us probably tried to squeeze into the back, um, seeing as there were about nine of us that needed to have rides home. But, you know, they made us stand around for probably nearly an hour before they took pity on us and drove us home. So we're all just wandering around the tracks trying to work out how to get home. and. I find it really weird. Why didn't the taxi or at least one taxi driver wait for the last train um, on New Year's Eve? Surely it's a night to make good money. I guess it's a good night to hide away as well. But I'm just glad I wasn't the only one stuck there. And I'm very grateful that the police were also there. And they very kindly drove us all home. And I'm pleased to say the family I worked for didn't see me coming home in a police car I did tell them the story the next day and obviously the only reason they drove me home was because I had no other way of getting home (laughs) some of the other dates in this chapter are me with Lottie the Arcana we're still in far north Queensland or we're about to leave far north Queensland after the nanny job that I went up there for ended abruptly 
There are so many stories from this short-lived job, but they belong in the nanny book and not on this podcast. But that family, for the short amount of time I was with them, definitely created a lot of (laughs) stories. Uh, So Lottie and I, we, so I left the job and Lottie and I made it all the way up to Cape Tribulation, um, which is kind of where the road ends in far north Queensland in Australia. I'm not sure if the road has been extended. There is a dirt road, but the bitumen road ends at Cape Tribulation. But Lottie and I made it up to there and we got to see its magnificent scenery. But the last date of this chapter creates symmetry to the first date of the first book, And I still find it fascinating how coincidence brought me back to Australia on the last day of the sixth year since I flew to Los Angeles, exactly seven years to the day. Unplanned, totally unplanned, like it was just, you know, meant to be. I didn't make the 10 years I'd talked about when departing from Albury train station, but seven years was pretty good. And the main reason I came back was to see if I could or if I wanted to live in Australia. The plan was to try it out for a year as I had never lived in Australia as an adult. So I didn't know if I should stay or if I wanted to stay or if I could stay, could I make a life for myself in Australia? I'd planned on working in Canada, but I wanted to test Australia first. That way, if I knew I could live in Australia, I could come back after I'd worked in Canada. Or if I knew I didn't want to live in Australia, then I could just stay in Canada after the two, there was a two-year nanny visa that I could apply for. And so then I could decide to stay and apply for residency after that if I knew I didn't want to come back to Australia. All my early time, so those first couple of weeks, couple or couple of months even in Australia was with people I'd met traveling. I didn't have an old life to come back to. And my diary talks mostly about how little money I had. I got down to $18 at one point. I wanted to check my emails, but I had to go to a cyber cafe, as we called them back then, to do so. But it cost $6 an hour. I wanted to spend two hours catching up on everything, but that would only have left me $6. Staying with friends at least gave me free accommodation, but you still had to, you know, pay for food and get around and stuff like that. I got a temp job that helped me at least a little bit. It was only for a few hours over a couple of weeks helping out a mum who was unable to drive after surgery on her feet for a couple of weeks. And she had a nine-year-old who needed picking up from school and just running errands. But that job, they looked after me very well, that family. They gave me dinner every night. Sometimes they let me take the car home because they didn't need it in between when I was leaving and when I was coming back. So it was a very nice little job to start with and very much gave me some cash that I needed. I was supposed to have some money coming back to me. I can't remember exactly how much it was. I want to say I paid... Sounds like a lot of money. Could I have paid 500 pounds for an American visa? 
there was a deposit system where you paid a certain amount of money and once you had done what you were supposed to, which was spend a year working for a family, and then once you'd left the country like you were supposed to, you had a month at the end, you had 12 months to work for the family and you had a month's grace period where you could travel around America. But once you left the country, so within 13 months of your arrival, you would get that deposit back. So 500 pounds sounds like way too much money, but I guess it has to have been a lot of money so that you wouldn't, you would do what you were supposed to so that you would get that money back. But because all of my arrangements for America were done when I was living in London, everything went through the English office. And I had so much trouble time and time again trying to remind them that I wasn't actually English. I was Australian. But (laughs) so my deposit was back in London. And so I did try at one point to get some money out of my English bank account after I'd been home for a couple of days. I tried low. I tried $50 and it was declined. So there was not $50 in my English bank account. Obviously, I hadn't used it while I'd been in America and I would have taken out as much as I humanly possible to take with me for America. So knowing that there was not even $50 in there meant my deposit had yet to be paid into my account. And I was waiting by the minute for that deposit. So in the end, I had to call them um, and they eventually sent me a check. So then I had to wait for the check to arrive from England. And then I had to wait for the check to clear in my refreshed Australian bank account. But I did survive financially and emotionally, even after I finally called my parents. So eventually I did call my parents. It wasn't what I wanted to do, Um, but eventually I did. And eventually my mother let me come and stay. Oh, she refused to let me use the car, but that's another whole story. So back to the book. (laughs) So the diary entry that is on the 6th of November, the last date in the book, I talk all about Samboy chips. It was my favorite brand of chips, the best salt and vinegar chips you could ever possibly imagine. But there was so much focus. Like it's the first time I've been (laughs) in, in Australia for like seven years. Not quite true, but, you know, I'd been away for seven years. And I was focusing on chips. And so after reading me talk, reading myself, writing about, talking about chips the whole time, when I was writing the book, I actually had to go and get myself some chips because I couldn't not eat chips after reading and writing about it (laughs) for so long. And I keep going on and on about the chips later in my diary. I was devastated that Samboy chips had disappeared. Eventually I did find some, but they were very difficult to find. And of course, now they're virtually impossible to find, but I did eventually track some down and now I'm Mr. Smith. So that's okay. But at the time I was so focused on Samboy chips. (laughs) So that brings me to, well, what's next? I do plan on having a couple of weeks off. I am recording this episode a few weeks early, so by the time you're listening to this episode, I will be somewhere in Europe. I'm going to be away for a full month, and so keeping up the podcast on a weekly basis 
um, was going to be just a little bit trickier than normal. I will try and do maybe a guest podcast if I can manage to get some recording done while I'm away and put it all together. So don't rely on that. Most likely rely on a couple of weeks of no new podcasts uploaded. And anything that I do manage to potentially upload will be just little bonus episodes of some description and be quite short, I'm sure. So don't hold me to that promise. I'm just saying it is a maybe. Something might appear if you've subscribed, automatically download a little bonus episode along the way. But also don't be surprised if you don't hear from me for a couple of weeks. I'm still working on what is going to happen next. The podcast will continue. I will call it season two when I come back, unless the bonus episodes, they'll just be bonus episodes. I've had lots of different ideas and plans for what would happen after I finished with the November chapter. And the current plan is basically to go right back to the beginning. So start on my first ever overseas trip, which was way back in the 1982-83 summer in Australia, winter in the Northern Hemisphere, and go through every trip that I've basically been on, count the countries as I get, each time I go to a new country, and do things in chronological order. So from a lot of feedback I've received is that people would have preferred everything in chronological order. So I will give people that with the second season of the podcast. If I'm counting countries along the way, I obviously need to start with that early 1980s trip because that's where I do clock off a few of my first countries. So I'll talk about the memories that I have left that I have, haven't have mentioned in the book as yet. And there are quite a few little snippets of things along the way. So I will do my best to put as much information in as I can. I will try and keep the episodes on the shorter side. I'd like to aim for 20, no more than 30 minutes per episode. So some trips over time will end up going over a couple of weeks. But everything is still a little bit up in the air, so don't hold me to anything that I say, but currently that is the plan. So thank you very much for listening over the last 30-odd episodes. I do appreciate you if you've been here right from the beginning, especially so. It's been fun chatting with you, and I hope I've made you laugh. And I hope you've enjoyed the background stories, extra background stories to the stories in the book. If you haven't read the book, then please, you know, it would make me very happy if you did so. And hopefully this podcast has enticed you to read the book. So the two books, so the main title is 365 Dates of Travel. There's the first six months and the second six months to make up 365 individual stories ranging from 1982-3 all the way up to sort of current times really. So, and please, you know, any comments, anything is always welcome. You can contact me. Email is fran at franheap.com writer.com and there's contact page on the website which is franheapwriter.com 
And funnily enough, my Instagram and Facebook author pages are also Fran Heap Writer. <laughs> so you can't miss me. Put one, put Fran Heap Writer in and you'll find something. But there is a way to contact me. You can sign up for my newsletter on the website. There's photos from all the travels on the website. All the podcast episodes are there if you haven't already got them somewhere on the, your favorite platform. There's transcripts to the podcasts. There's information about the books and where to buy them and a little bit more about me and some funny photos from varying ages and stages. (laughs) So there's a lot of stuff there and come check me out on social media as well. You can always contact me on the socials. So for now, I will leave it there. Again, thank you very much for listening and I will wish for you an interesting day. (laughs) 